Welcome to another Calvary Baltimore B-Side with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. B-Sides are a companion to the weekly sermon, giving an in-depth look behind the teaching. Now with running commentary to complement this week's sermon, here's Pastor Josh. We are in Revelation chapter 12 today. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through uh, six, uh, and I think we have some, some pretty good stuff uh, ahead of us here. Um, and, and just so you guys know, and you know, the, these Sundays, the, these Monday Bible studies, uh, I get to talk about some things that I did on Sunday, some things that I wish I did on Sunday, some, uh, if I made a mistake, I could correct it. Um, Lord knows I'm, I'm fallible and sometimes misspeak. Uh, but, <coughs> When it came to the the preparation of Sunday's study on Revelation 12, uh, th- there were so many different ways to break this passage down. Uh, if you're a Mark Twain fan, uh, to skin the cat here. <laughs> um, but as I sat down on uh, to prepare Sunday's study, I really believe the best way to unpack this story was to not lose the forest for the trees. Because there, there are so many wonderful details packed into this story and every story in the Bible, uh, every 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 section of Revelation is jam packed with details. And you know me, I, I when I when I when I I see something, I want to know what it is. You know, I really, I really believe God wrote this book. And so when I see two trees, I want to know why there are two trees. If I see two lampstands, I want to know why there are trees with lampstands. Uh, and then when we come to numbers, I can't help it. It's like, well, why these numbers? Because it could have been any number, but if God wrote it, there's a reason for the numbers. So it's really important I, to me to catch these all, all these details, but <sighs> there also comes a time to where we need to step back from the microscope and realize what we're actually analyzing. So, so unless the Lord moves me uh, in a different way, uh, Sunday, uh, w- w- Sundays we're going to try to start catching some of the larger and bigger themes uh, for the second half of Revelation, because in, in many places the, the second half of Revelation, starting at um, at chapter twelve, uh, th- there's a tone shift in the book. And I think uh, gathering some of the larger pictures here are going to serve us well. Um, the, the problem with that, and, and I do believe we're going to speed up here, uh, the, the problem with, with speeding up and catching larger themes is uh, we, it's going to come at the sacrifice of some of the more finer details of the book. Uh, so if you're the kind of person like me, who's really interested in all the little nuances and why did God put this here, uh, these Monday morning Bible studies are going to become increasingly more important to you uh, because we're just going to hit things that we just did not have time for on Sunday. Like we ran through the sun and the moon on on Sunday, and that was really hard for me to not stop and talk about why that that's important. Uh, but I, I could I could resist because I knew I could do this here. So uh, these Monday mornings are going to be um, pretty pretty important. <clears throat> um, so with that, let's let's read our text. And actually, I'm going to do this uh, through a screen share here so you can see the structure of today's passage. So ready? 
<laughs> oh no, it didn't work. I want to share. Let me share the screen. All right, let's try again. Yay! The whole computer system just crashed. Uh, <clears throat> here we are. Revelation chapter 12. Uh, wonderful. Uh, and here is Sunday's text, and we're going to read it. This is going to be a reading today. We're going we're gonna to share, uh, and I'm going to point out the significance of the structure here. Uh, Revelation 12, verse 1. So uh, what we have, we start with an A. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. So our first great sign that appears in heaven is of a woman, and she's clothed. Well, that, something someone clothed her there. The woman is clothed. Uh, and then, of course, as we... we kind of preview the, the ver verse six we're going to see where she where a place was prepared by god so the woman is clothed by god and the woman is provided for by god uh verse two she was uh this is a b she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth we have a painful pregnancy and then a c and now here's the focal point of the of this vision okay and another sign appeared in heaven. So the second sign is the focal point. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on his head, had seven diadems, and his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. So we have a dragon who rebels against uh, heaven, a third of the stars. So we have a rebelling dragon. He's, he's, he is causing... Um, chaos in the cosmos. And then it goes on to say in our second part of the sea, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So the heaven, so th this is why we have two sections to the center point here. The dragon rebels in, uh, in heaven, and then the dragon rebels on earth. And yes, this woman, this woman is is in heaven. Okay, she's clothed with the sun and the moon. Uh, but we know that, that that Jesus, the child, is born on earth. While well, the child's rearing up to devour the child uh, as he was born, so that there's rebellion in heaven and there's rebellion on earth. And verse five, uh, and this is the B now. We're we're coming back around. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to His throne. Caught up, which must mean either either the the the, the child born is brought up into heaven. He's not already in heaven. Uh, caught up to heaven and to his throne. And so what we see is we have a painful pregnancy. Uh-oh, something's wrong. But then we find out that there's a successful pregnancy. And who is she pregnant with? The promised seed. The one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Again, if we're thinking of Psalm chapter 2, there is a son who is coming, the seed of David, who God will set on God's holy hill of Zion, who will rule and reign the nations. Um... And then verse 6, and this is our A, we're coming back down. 
And the woman fled into the wilderness where she was uh, has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. The woman is clothed. The woman is provided for. But what I want you to see that's really interesting, there's two signs. A great sign appeared in heaven and a woman. And then another great sign appeared in heaven, uh, a red dragon. And what we see here is that uh, AB, AB is of the first sign. This is of the woman clothed woman in, in birth. She she has birth pain. She gives birth. The sea is entirely focused on the dragon. The dragon's not even mentioned in either A or either B. Uh, so the dragon's isolated to the focal point of the chiasm here, the focal point of the story, uh, and it's ultimately about his rebellion. Uh, and of course, you know, the, again, the dragon's not mentioned outside of the center point here. So this, this whole passage of scripture, though I gave prominence to the birth of the male child, I tried to do it in a way that talked about the dragon's frustrations. Um, so, so again, as I, as I taught Sunday, I tried to put the emphasis, uh, on the child, but, but with, within the context of the dragon who seeks to devour, um, uh, the, the child. And why I think this is so important is because this story is going to bleed into another story about war in heaven. So this story, in a way, is setting up the next story. Uh, and so actually, this Sunday, uh, we're going to go through uh, some of those verses and talk about why he has seven heads and diadems and all these sorts of things uh, leading into the war. Uh, in heaven. So we have a chiastic structure here focused around the dragon's rebellion, uh, which will be very fun to look at when we see what that looks like in heaven. <clears throat> um, so there's so many places I could take this and I really want to talk about the dragon and the heads, but we're, I'm going to resist and save it. Uh, what I do want to look at today, uh, the three thoughts here, uh, technically four, um, is of the woman. So first, as I said Sunday, uh, looking at the context here, to me, uh, and, and again, I could be wrong, but when it comes to Revelation, um, we have to understand, we, we don't want to be, we don't want to be dogmatic about things we don't need to be dogmatic about. And we need to be dogmatic, resolved, fixed, unmovable about things that we should be dogmatic about. God is a triune God, dogmatic. Jesus died for the sin of the world, dogmatic. Man is Mankind are sinful, dogmatic. Uh, but when it comes to certain interpretations of scripture, and we might be able to lean this way or that way, uh, we, we don't want to, <coughs> we don't want to die on those hills. You know what I'm saying? Um, so there are all sorts of different interpretations here, uh, but but most land where I land in, in the Protestant faith anyways, uh, that this woman seems to be the representation of God's people. And obviously what that would mean in the Old Testament is the ancient Israelites. Uh, but thinking of the end times, I believe that, and, and I, I believe this to be the end times messianic church uh, in view here, believing 
Israel. So she, she represents God's people, and I believe specifically ancient Israel and the end times messianic believers. Now, one of the reasons I believe that, I, I think this woman uh, represents Israel, faithful Israel, is because this woman's description is very similar to a dream the patriarch Joseph had. Uh, let's read it. Genesis 37, verses 9 through 11. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow? Uh, ourselves to the ground before you and his brothers were jealous of him but his father kept the saying in mind <coughs> excuse me I needed coffee I was I was fading as a human and now I'm getting strength again <laughs> this dream works on a few levels as it pertains to Revelation 12 of course we have the sun the moon and the stars <coughs> interesting this woman, uh, B, this woman represents Israel. Uh, and Joseph and his 11 brothers represents the 12 tribes. Like, how many diadems did the woman wear on her head? 12. Joseph had how many brothers? 12. Interesting. In the dream, we see Joseph and the 11. Very interesting. Uh, our, our third C thought here on why this Joseph's dream is relevant uh, if this woman is a type of Joseph, the patriarch of the twelve, then Joseph's being cast into exile, and then uh, and then and then is raised to the throne to prominence. It's very fitting for end time Israel. So, what I mean is, when Joseph, after the dream, he was cast into the pit by his brothers, sold into slavery in Egypt, lived in Potiphar's house. Uh, rose to the top of Potiphar's house, was wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife, thrown in jail, then taken out, interprets Pharaoh's dream, he becomes the second most important man of all of Egypt, and he saves Egypt, and he becomes as a king sitting on the throne next to Pharaoh. Very similar to how the Bible describes what's going to happen to end time Israel. They're going to be cast into a pit, they're going to be driven away, they're going to be in the wilderness, they're going to be in a bad place, and then they are going to be risen to prominence, uh, at, at uh, pr predominance in, in the end, as they rule and reign next to, of course, the greater king, uh, Jesus Christ himself. So there's some parallels here happening with Joseph in this dream and Revelation 12, as we continue on in our reading, you know, in future weeks. Uh, now, the second thing I wanted to talk about here is uh, there is an element that this woman represents Mary, Mary, the mother of our Lord, as she gave birth to Jesus. So, you know, we, we would be silly to think that Mary doesn't have any relation to this woman here as she gave birth to, you know, I Sunday I talked about Herod. <laughs> if I'm talking about Herod, I got to talk about Jesus in relation to the birth of Jesus, right? So th there's some there's some connections here to Mary. Now, Protestants might be, you might, if you're Protestant, you're hearing this going, uh-oh, Josh is going down a Catholic road, and, and if you're Catholic, you're going, yeah! <laughs> The, the, the problem is, 
there seems to be pictures of Mary here. Seems very clear, but th this can be taken too far. And, and some people say this picture of this woman is a picture of the risen Mary, of Mary, uh, the perpetual virgin Mary, the dispenser of grace. Uh, and they say, here is Mary, queen of heaven, wearing a crown and a crown of 12. Only queens wear crowns. And so, and she's, and they say that she's wearing a 12. And you got to remember, um, Catholics have a replacement theology, or, or the nice way to say it is a fulfillment theology. And they say that every when you read the Old Testament, you see 12. That now is replaced or fulfilled as the church. So Mary is the queen of not the 12 being Israel, but the 12 being the church. She is the queen of the church, and she's not only queen of the church, she's queen over all things. The She's vested in the sun, and the moon is by her feet, and she gives birth to the child. We have sun. At the top, we have the earth in her belly and the moon by her feet. She gives birth to all things good in the world. She is queen over all earthly things. Obviously, that's taken too far. It's taken way too far. But at the same time, we don't want to push so far against uh, inappropriate veneration that we ignore the fact that Mary's here. Uh, you know, and... I don't think this woman represents Mary, but I think Mary's a part of Israel's story, faithful Israel's story, that we don't want to be ignorant of or push away from. That you know, Mary is a very, very godly woman that we should, as, as Christians, respect as we would any other um, faithful saint in, in the scripture. And by saint, I just mean Christian, to use biblical language, godly Christian people. Uh, and so Mary's uh, story here is is obviously intertwined. We don't want to lose lose that here. Uh, that that's very important. Uh, the third thing that I want to talk about, and I really don't have anything important to say here. Uh, as I was reading commentaries on this, there were so many people that went into astrology. They have Leo being born over the they have the dragon and the woman. Honestly, I I skip most of it because I I don't I don't have a passion for astrology. Uh, I think it's a little reaching. Uh, astrology, I, I think there's also a lot of merit to it throughout the scripture because God uses the stars in certain places. Uh, but that's just not something I I'm want to wrap my <laughs> head around or can wrap my head around uh, without diving in real deep. I may get there one day, uh, but a lot of people seem to rely on a lot of astrology here. Again, I think the, the, the pointing to the stars is ultimately to point to realities, heavenly realities. Uh, so I think we can get to the information of what God is trying to communicate here without actually diving into what constellations move where at what time and what orbit. That's just me. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, maybe I'm being neglectful on my astrology, but that's just, I, I don't, I don't feel led that way. Uh, so if I'm at fault, forgive me, show some grace. <laughs> um, now our fourth and final point and what I'm really excited about. What about the sun, the moon and the stars? So this woman has a, a crown with, with she has 12 stars uh, uh, she, she has 12 stars represent and this represents the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, now this is not a shock. This should not be a shock to us. 
Because what if we think about earlier in the book of Revelation, we've already seen the 12 tribes of Israel in the 144,000. We had 12 times 12, 144. So we've already seen the 12 tribes represented in this book as being God, God pouring his spirit out upon them uh, to reach the peoples of the world. So there's already an element of God using Israel um, who believe in Jesus as the Messiah uh, in the end days. This is already sort of on our radar. This is already on our radar as we're reading through the book of, of Revelation. Um, so the 12 seems to represent the 12 uh, tribes. Uh, next, we see the sun. Uh, this woman is clothed in the sun. Well, Jesus' face in Revelation 1.16 was like the sun shining in full strength. Well, here again, this woman is clothed in this same light. She is clothed in this heavenly light. Maybe this is that Isaiah 9 passage. Uh, the people who have dwelt in darkness have seen a great light. This woman is of the light. Uh, very clearly is of the light. And again, I think this is speaking towards a type of awakening, uh, illumination that's happening here. Uh, and then notice the moon. The moon is at her feet. To put something under one's feet is to claim dominion over it. Think about the, the story of Ruth. When Boaz had a land a land exchange, do you, do you remember part of the sale of the, the contract was was an exchange of sandals? So there was an exchange of sandals, and the point was is though the sandal that walked on the land was representative of one who owned the land, because uh, to walk on something is to place dominion over it. Uh, well, here the moon, uh, here this woman has the moon at her feet. Okay, she has dominion over it. Well, what is the moon? Well, the moon in the scriptures can represent the Old Testament feasts. Uh, you know, we see lots of new moon festivals and, and lunar calendars. Um, and, and there's temptation to say, okay, are that is us referring back to the to the feasts of the Old Testament? But I don't think that's what's uh, happening because we want to think. Um, apocalyptic. The, the book of Revelation was written in an apocalyptic form, and it draws a lot from the Psalms, uh, and it draws, it draws a lot from the prophets, Zechariah, Joel, Amos, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. The, this book is constantly drawing from, from apocalyptic texts, uh, and, and when we think about the moon in these apocalyptic texts, like Isaiah 13.10, Ezekiel 20, or 32.7, Joel 2.10, the moon, the lesser light, as it's described, in apocalyptic texts, in as we think about the end times, the, the moon, the lesser light, is a symbol portrayed as a symbol of darkness, of dimming. The, the light of the moon dims, or the moon turns into a, a red moon from sin and death. And so... This woman placing the moon at her feet may be symbolic of her placing the darkness under her feet. That she has dominion and mastery over the coming darkness. And, and again, this is where the story of Israel is going. That eventually, right, God will reign, rule and reign out of his holy, holy hill of Zion. 
uh, and he will rule the nations with the rod of iron. And again, Revelation chapter 11, the back half, the song in heaven, and the, the opening of Revelation 12, this story, uh, there's a lot of Psalm 2 in the context here. And again, there's dominion here. So I think, I think we're seeing the trajectory of where Israel's going here. And as we keep reading in Revelation, uh, we'll see that this is very true. Uh, now, I do want to add just just a little clarifier, uh, and this is where we're gonna we're gonna leave today. And we we have to wrap our heads around this. There are not two people of God. There are not two people of God. This is so important as we head into Revelation, the back half of Revelation. There is one people of God, and it is those who accept Jesus as Lord. Now, you may be thinking, well, of course that's true. And a lot of people would say, yeah, that, that's right. But then when it comes to Israel, they get into muddy waters. And that's a very bad place to be. And so as I'm, as I'm saying Israel, the, the 12 tribes will place the moon, the darkness under their feet. I want to be very clear. I'm not saying this because they are God's people. Israel will not gain mastery over the darkness in the end days because the present day Israel are God's people. Paul says in Romans 9, 6, but it is not as though the word of God has failed for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham. And he's talking about people who are Jewish. Jesus would look at people and say, surely Sodom and Gomorrah are going to have a lesser judgment than you, O Israel. What Paul means and what Jesus gets at elsewhere in the gospel is that salvation comes by faith, not by ethnicity. That being said, as God chose to pour his favor and his grace upon Abraham. Abraham didn't deserve God's grace, but he received it. And the same thing's true with Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and the 12 tribes of Israel, and now the Gentiles. We did not deserve the grace of God. We do not earn it. We do not deserve it. We are not merited it. It is all of God's grace. And there's a hardening over the Jewish people. We see that in Luke 4. We see that all through the scriptures. God hardened the hearts of the Israelites and decided to pour his favor out upon the Gentiles. Well, just as true as that is, so God will pour his grace upon the Jewish people at the end, before his return, and many Israelites will come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ that way. Why this is so important is because though we share so much in common with the Jewish people, we have a very big division between us. It's the division. And that's faith in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. And as Jesus in Matthew 4 and Paul in the book of Acts, like all the unbelievers, like the Muslim, like the atheist, like the Buddhist, the Jewish people also need the gospel of Jesus Christ to be saved. You know, right now we're, we're, 
you know, I, I love, I, so where I, I get my news a lot from Ben Shapiro, and I really like a lot of what he does, not everything, but a lot, and he talks a lot about the Judeo-Christian value system, and, and there's a lot of truth to that. Um, the problem, though, is we don't want to make them the same thing. We, we don't we don't have the same exact value system because any value system as a Christian not based upon Jesus Christ as the Messiah is a distortion of Christianity. So we can't say Judaism and Christianity have the same set of moral structures. It's, it, 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 I don't like that term. Uh, again, there's a lot of the same foundations and truths there, but there's a very, the largest distinction apart from it. And so, you know, yes, God has a wonderful plan for the Jewish people, and we are to love them and care for them like we are any other people group. But we don't want to miss the critical detail that salvation comes through the Son. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ, and they, like everyone else, must accept the gospel if they're going to be saved, they're not saved because of their ethnicity. And so as we head into the second half of Revelation, and there's a real heightened look at the Jewish people, the temptation is to start going, oh, they're also the people of God. And, and that's a dangerous road to go down. Jewish people are the people of God when they accept Jesus as the Messiah, just like a Kenyan or uh, an Irishman or whoever. Uh, th that is how salvation comes. And so when we think about the end times and God's plan for the Jewish people, and we can celebrate and rejoice over that, uh, we also need to understand that the Jewish people in our life, in, in and around our circles, if they do not know Jesus Christ, they are heading for destruction. And they need the gospel too. You know, we, we don't want to misunderstand this here. This is very important. Salvation comes through faith in the Son alone. That's it. Uh, and so we want to be very clear heading into this next section of Revelation that we're, we're firm uh, on these truths. So with that, let's go. We're, let's pray and uh, ask God to do what, only what he can do. God, we love you. We, we praise you. We thank you. We ask that you guide and direct us. We ask that you would um, comfort us. We ask that you would help us to advance your gospel, help us to be Christ-like, and thank you for all that you have given your church. Thank you for all that you have given your people, and we thank you. We thank you that you will pour your spirit out again. It is coming. And so we, we, we so celebrate you and thank you. Grow us in joy, we pray. In Jesus' name, we love you, God. Amen. I love you guys so much. Have a good day. Thanks for joining us for this Calvary Baltimore B-Side. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, our website is calvarychapelbaltimore.org. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you've been blessed by today's teaching and would like to donate to the work that God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word to live the Word to share the Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore B-Side. <laughs>